We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's talk about the Notre Dame team. And the reason I, I the, the topic to this is kind of, it's kind of relevant because the original question is, is number one, does Notre Dame need to have a Heisman contender to win a championship? And I think I want to address that part first. Okay. And when I mean Heisman contender, I'm talking about like not a guy that finishes like ninth or 10th because Notre Dame's a good team but a guy that's a Heisman contender because he is just that good. So a top five is what I'm looking for. Right. They had one in 2012 with Manti. They should have had one. In, I mean, let's be honest about this. If if Jalen Smith was under a real defensive coordinator, <laughs> he would have been a Heisman. He would have been a finalist, I believe. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so, I mean, that's, that's a little bit of a unique one, but um, – Looking at this team, Sean, you look at the 2018 team, great team. Yep. But then they kind of got a little bit overwhelmed in the playoff because they didn't have that one guy that you could kind of put a team on his shoulders and say, yeah. you know, like like Kyler Murray took a team that was not nearly as good as Notre Dame yeah. that year yeah. and made that a much more competitive game than the talent level should have dictated. Yeah. Exact opposite happened in Notre Dame. That should have been a much closer game that was not because they didn't have that guy that could just kind of take a game over and say, I got this, the way that Trevor Lawrence did in 2019 against Clemson. Yeah. I mean, against Ohio State in the playoff, for example. And so I think I think the first part is, does Notre Dame need a Heisman contender to compete to get to the playoff? No. Yeah. They've already done that multiple times without yeah. that guy. Yeah. Do they need a Heisman contender to win a championship? I think, you know, I've thought a lot about it, and I'd have to say, yeah, because if you look at the last, you know, the playoff teams, you know, 2014 Ohio State, I don't don't know where uh, the voting was in 2014. I'm actually going to go pull it up here real quick. I would imagine, yeah, uh, JT Barrett was fifth, and he wasn't even their best best player. Ezekiel Elliott was. Yeah. So I would argue they had two Heisman caliber players. 
two thousand. So that was on the fourteen championship team. Yeah. Uh, the runner up that year had the Heisman winner and Marcus Mariota. Two thousand fifteen, the national championship team had the Heisman Trophy winner Derrick Henry. The runner up team, Clemson, had the number three guy in Heisman Trophy voting. And I'm gonna tell you right now. That shows you how sick Derrick Henry was that year because for Christian Mac McCaffrey not to win the not Heisman win the with the year he had, yeah, shows yeah. you how good that 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 Derrick Henry was that year, and he was a monster that year. 2016 voting, the team that won the national championship had a guy that finished second in Heisman voting, yeah, Deshaun Watson. 2017, the team that won the national championship was Alabama. They did not have a a a, a, a Heisman contender, neither did the team that they beat. But again, 2017 is a year that we pointed to as a, a bit of an anomaly season, yeah. in my opinion. 2018, same deal. The team that won the national championship, uh, Clemson, did not have a Heisman Trophy player per se. The highest ranked guy was Travis Etienne at number seven. I would argue he had a, a – but they had like four studs that kind of took some of the shine off each other. Yeah. T. Higgins, Justin Ross, and of course Trevor Lawrence didn't step into the starting lineup till like Game Four, but Trevor Lawrence played like a Heisman Trophy contender down the stretch. But then you look at the team that was the runner-up; they had the number two, they had the runner-up for the Heisman, Tua Tungvaloa. The other team in the playoff in the in the national championship game that year, uh, Oklahoma, or in the playoff that year, Oklahoma guy won the Heisman. 2019, duh. I mean, you know, Joe Burrow. The team that they beat, Clemson, had two guys that finished in the top 10. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. And then the other playoff team that year, Oklahoma, had a guy that finished second. And then the, the national runner-up that year – or no, I'm sorry, the other playoff team that led most of that game had Justin Fields, who finished third, and Chase Young, who finished fourth. So they had two guys in the top five. 2020, uh, obviously Alabama won it all. They had the Heisman the – Heisman, uh, they had the number one and number three yeah. guy. And then, of course, this past year, the team that won it all did not have a guy in the top. Uh, they had a guy ninth. Their nose tackle was ninth, which is absurd that Jordan Davis was a top 10 Heisman Trophy candidate finisher. He played like 30 snaps a freaking game. I know one thing. I would have put their tight end in the top team. I mean, if you're going to put a defensive player in their top 10, there's five other guys you could have turned to besides the, the nose tackle. Absolutely. You the couple D could have been in the top right. team. Exactly. Exactly. So – there, so you look at like what eight years of playoffs and there's been two teams that that wasn't the case for those are anomalies those are not the normal scenarios so i do yeah. think for Notre Dame to win it we have to agree that they have to have at least one guy on offense that is a very dynamic take a game over matchup nightmare either a great skill player like i don't even want to say it but like a derrick henry and Devonte smith travis etn that kind of guy or a quarterback it's got to yep. be one of those two uh, so Sean, we agree that they have to have a title contender, a Heisman contender to win a title. Do we, yes, do we agree? It goes along that? with the trend. Absolutely. So let's talk about who that might be for Notre Dame. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I actually think based upon what we've seen and the love that defensive players have gotten recently, I think Foskey has a chance to be a Heisman candidate. I really do. Especially, remember we talked, and I'm not trying to rile you up, we talked about several games last year where uh, teams were able, based upon knowing what Notre Dame would do with certain things or how they would shift with motion, they basically would take Foskey out of the play. Could, yeah. You know, and – they didn't have to worry about him rushing the passer, which for them was like, oh, that's the best thing in the world. You mean mm-hmm. all we have to worry about is Jason and Myron pretty much? Cool. I think Notre Dame comes with, up with a way for Foskey to be more involved in the pass rush more significantly. I think Riley Mills on the other side makes him a better player. I think they make each other better players. That's the key. He needs more help in the pass rush game. Absolutely. And Riley, Jason, and Marist can all provide that. Because if you watch the Stanford game, you'll hear all game about them raving about the number of sacks Notre Dame has. That wasn't because they could just set up with their front four and just go get the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame did a lot of blitzing last year to get to the quarterback. And it was successful, but Certain teams, especially late in the year, found ways to take advantage of getting certain players in one-on-one situations out in space and being able to make plays. And we saw the lack of tackling at the end of the season defensively come into play for Notre Dame. Isaiah Foskey would be one. Specifically because he's already been an All-American at another school, Brandon Joseph could be another Mm-hmm. If if he gets to six, seven, eight interceptions on a team that's playing for a college football playoff berth at the end of the season, he could be a sneaky pick for the Heisman. Mm-hmm. He could. He also has he also could potentially be their punt returner. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. that I mean, you get you take a couple yeah, back to the house, yeah. right? He would it's need something like that. Yeah. yeah. He would need, and that's the one thing. That, I mean, let's not kid ourselves that Charles Woodson catching a pass and returning a punt against Ohio State wasn't the reason he won the Heisman. It wasn't for the sick interception he had against Michigan State. It wasn't that he was the best defensive player in college football there. That's not what we wanted. If he only yeah. played corner, he doesn't win the Heisman. And it's right. just, I mean, that shouldn't be the case. It's yeah. supposed to go to the most outstanding player. 
So Julius Peppers should have probably won it. And yeah. Namakan Sue probably should have won it. Charles Woodson rightfully won it, but only because he had he was a punt returner and a wide receiver. Yeah. Also. So that's you're you're right. Duran and Joseph, if he's like top 15 in punt returns, maybe takes a couple back to the house. Like you said, hopefully one of those is like in a big game or something like that, or you know, has a pick six. It's gonna have to be something like that. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, he's a dark, he's a dark horse. Heisman candidate. You go to the I mean, the obvious is Look, if you're the quarterback at Notre Dame, you're you're on the Heisman watch list. Like, right. you just are. So, if Tyler Buckner, he's not C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I don't think they're going to put the weight of the world on his shoulders like C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young will have. Right. Passing game. But not from a stature standpoint or a physical stature, but just from impact if he can have a Cam Newton type impact with his legs and with his arm, and they go on a nice little run, I can see Tyler Buckman being in the top. Five. Yeah, see, I, I was going to bring him up last, uh, but we can go there now. Yeah, those, was, are, I, those are my three. I was gonna, I was gonna go with another first. Okay, Let me go with another first. Yeah. And this is going to seem crazy. I do think that there's a chance that Michael Mayer could 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 pop into that conversation. And I know it's rare, and there's only been like two tight ends that have won the Heisman Trophy, and they were all back like like before our parents were born, <laughs> right? One of which was another name guy, Leon Hart. Leon Hart, yeah. But I think the Heisman Trophy a lot of times goes to the team that, you know, goes to the best offensive player on the best team, right? And it's normally a running back receiver or quarterback. I think if if Notre Dame uses Michael Mayer in a way where he is an 80-catch, 1,000-plus-yard guy, I could see him being a contender. Because, again, we're not talking about winning it. We're talking about how a guy is a legitimate, like, top five-ish type of contender. That's what we're talking about here, right? And – you know, if Tyler Buckner kind of is a really good player, would it be enough for him because of Heisman, become a Heisman tender? I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But I would also say if he's having that kind of year that you talked about, Sean, he means he's probably throwing a lot of a lot of balls to Michael Mayer. I look at 2020. Kyle Pitts had 43 catches for 770 yards, and he had, he had uh, 17.9 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns. Now, one of the things that hurt Kyle Pitts that year, he was a monster, is – he also had a quarterback to finish in the top five, Kyle Trask. Yeah. Kyle Trask got more of the attention. If Tyler Buckner has a really good year, unless he has like an elite year, I'm talking about a good year, 3,300 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, five, 600 yards rushing. That's a heck of a year that could get him in that conversation, but it could also mean that my, that my number one, they're going to be a playoff team. If that's the kind of year he has. Oh, without a doubt. And, and, you know, I think that there's a chance that Michael Mayer, the way that they're going to use him, he could put up. I mean, would it shock you if Michael Mayer had like 80 catches for like 1,100 yards and 10 plus touchdowns? It wouldn't yeah. shock me. I mean, that's a lot. I'm not predicting it. So again, we're just talking hype, a little bit hyper, but not hyperbolically, but theoretically. I don't think we will want that, right? Well, I, I would we say would like to see, we would like to see maybe 60, and then a Lorenzo have about. 40. I, I would actually want to see that. And here's why I okay. say that. I, I get where you're coming from, Sean. Yes. And I think I think we agree. But here's what I mean. If Lorenzo balls out, if Braden becomes a big play guy, mm-hmm. if you, then that means it's harder to stop Michael Mayer. Right. 
So if he catches 80 for 1100 and 10 plus scores, it means he's getting a lot of matchups where he's able to make plays. Yeah. And and that would be my thing. Cause I felt like one of the things that hurt Tyler Buckner, not Tyler Buckner, Tyler Eifert in 2012. Cause if you actually look at his production in 2011, when he was not an all American, which is just still want so many of the absurd things. Cause he didn't have the hype in 2011 that he had in 2012. But if you actually look at Tyler Tyler Eifert's numbers, he was far better in 2011 than he was in 2012 when yeah. he won the Mackey Award. Yeah. In 2011, he had 63 catches for 803 yards. Right. And the next year, he only had 50 catches for 685 yards. He had one fewer touchdown. What was the difference? Well, Notre Dame was a better team in 2012, and then two. But here's the difference in the numbers. Forget the perception, the numbers in 2011. You couldn't double team Tyler Eifert because if you did, Michael Michael Floyd was going to destroy, destroy you. Destroy you, yeah. And so Michael Mayer was the guy, or Michael Floyd was the guy that you had to put the attention on. And so when Michael Mayer was that dude and nobody else stepped up, then that tamped down his numbers. And they were more of a running team in 2012 as well. There's other yeah. factors. It's never quite that simple. So my point is, if Michael Mayer goes off like that, Sean, the only way it happens is if game one lorenzo style steps up and is that guy and 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 also it means they're thrown a lot more than we anticipate too and then number three it means that somebody else Lindsay, somebody along those got aligns is someone who is going to step up too there's no way you michael mayer has that production if other guys step up which is your point we want to see other guys stepping up as well i actually think that could result and here's other final thing too is I don't see Mayer being like a nine-catch, 150-yard guy against Ohio State. I could be wrong, but I just think their defense is going to be so geared to him. But if those other guys step up, come mid-October on, when Notre Dame has some big games, then that's when Michael Mayer is going to go off because their teams are saying, well, we got to make a we got to make a business decision on who we're going to slow down. And, you know, we're we're going to slow down. We're going to, we're going to not focus on this. Let's be honest, the slowest. Yeah. Who's going to be the slowest skill player in the field for Notre Dame this year? It's going to be Michael Mayer. Yeah. Right? And so that's a decision that some teams may have to make if the other guys are balling out. Avery Davis and, you know, Braden and Lorenzo and hopefully Dion and Tobias and the running backs and all that kind of stuff. So I'd say that would be one where I don't think there's a chance in heck that a tight end wins a Heisman Trophy. But could he be in that conversation to where he has a a sort of a generational tight end season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be there. I would actually, this is for me, like receptions, Mm -hmm. I agree with what you said. Mm -hmm. I would much rather him be 60 to 65 and raise that average person perception per reception up from 11 to about 14, 15. Yeah. And and increase the touchdowns. Mm -hmm. That, for me, would be perfect because I anticipate Lorenzo Styles' usage going up this year. Hopefully, we have, every year it seems like we right. hope for Braden Lindsey to sure. take the next step. And then we don't know. Heck, Tobias Merriweather, second half of the season, might right might become one of the guys. Well, if if Michael Mayer averages 14 and a half yards a catch, it's just a good number. It's not an elite number for a right. tight end, right? It's a good number, though. I mean, Kyle Pitts was a 17.9. He's a different player. Different I'm player. not expecting that. Right. But let's just say he was at 15. If he catches 16 balls at 15 yards a catch, that's 975 yards. Exactly. 
if he jumps it up to, you know, was a 16, 68 catches times 15. Now, if he has 68 catches at 15 yards a catch, Sean, then he's over a thousand yards to your there point. You go. The numbers, it, it, what it's going to be about, Sean, is the touchdowns mm-hmm. and the yards. Yeah. You got to get into four digits. However you get there. I think your point is, is valid though, that the, 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 the more yards per catch would mean sort of some of the bigger plays. Yeah. That would be key. And it's, it's a, that's a good. And I think that might even help him even more to your point is if he's more of a big play tight end more than he's been, not just a, you know, he catches nine passes for 99 yards every game. Well, you know, yeah, his production is going to be great, but is it really going to blow anybody away? No, it's not, you know, or, or it, it, think about it. if he averages seven catches for 80 yards a game, I mean, I think the impact of that gets him to a thousand, but that's not going to be like, wow, did you see what Michael Mayer did? If he's doing it on nine, you know, eight, nine catches every game, yeah. that's yeah. the point that you're making. I think he'll have more of an impact attached to the line this year than he had last year, right? Because with Tyler mm-hmm. Buckner, if he, if his hand is in the ground with Tyler Buckner at quarterback, right. You know, do you do right. you come up and say we're gonna put eight in the box? Yeah, and, and leave that seam open. It's, yeah, I think with Tyler Button, there are a lot of different ways now that he can really yeah. attack the field and he can be used, especially if the wide receivers step up. I think there's two other things that to me, and 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 I somewhat agree with one of the points you made, but I went I was thinking a different direction. Number one is I think we're gonna see Michael Mayer playing a lot more as a wide receiver this year, as a boundary. Yeah. And that's something we saw a lot from Tyler Eifert that we didn't see a ton from Michael Mayer last year. He was the slot attached guy. Mm-hmm. The other part is I think Michael Mayer is going to get some cheap yards this year too. Oh, absolutely. And that's going to be because of Tyler Buckner. Yes. It's that where he's starting to scramble and then they come up on him and he pops right over to Michael Mayer who runs for 30 yards. Yeah. Right. That That's, that's important. That's not a, that's not a knock on Michael Mayer. That's, that's important for a tight end to get his numbers to the point where he could be recognized as that kind of player. Somebody else made a point too, Sean, that I was going to get to is I think as the season goes on for Michael Mayer, Michael Mayer is going to be shattering all the Notre Dame tight end records. And I think that's going to be a part of it too, is, is if he has that 65 plus a thousand plus 10 plus season, which is just an elite tight end season for a big time school like Notre Dame. You're also going to be in a situation where he, but in doing that, he's going to be shattering the the tight end records at Notre Dame. And when you start talking about some of the people he's going to be surpassing while doing that, yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting into, I mean, he's already kind of high in a lot of these rankings. Like if you look at, uh, let me go out here, receptions in a season, by a tight end, he owns he owns the yards in the season. But you look down to some of the career stuff. The career receptions for a Notre Dame tight end is Tyler Eifert with 140, and Ken McAfee with 128. Let me pull up Michael Mayer's. I think he's at about 124 right now. Correct. So he's at 113 for 1290 yards and nine touchdowns. So at 113, he is 15 catches away from Ken McAfee. He's already third all time. Uh, he's 113 from Ken McAfee, and he's 27 away from Tyler Eifert, tying those guys. That's first half of the season production, most likely. Yeah, yeah. You look, he's at 1,290 yards. So if you look at receiving yards for a career for a tight end, Tyler Eifert had 840 
and Ken McAfee said had 17.59. He's already third. Tyler Efforts or Michael Mayer's already third. So if you look at if you look at the numbers there, I mean he is less than 500 yards away from Ken McAfee, and he is less than 600 yards away from Tyler Eifert. Heck, he could conceivably get that in the first five games. Potentially. <laughs> potentially. So I just, you know, touchdowns in a career for a tight end, he's at nine, which mm. means he's already tied for – he's already third. He's two behind Tyler Eifert and six behind Ken McAfee. So, again, you're talking about shattering records in a place like Notre Dame. That could be it. But I'll say this. So you're saying he's pretty good, huh? He's pretty good. And he plays in an era where, I mean, look, let's be honest. Ken McAfee. Plays in a different era. Correct. Correct. He'd be put up different numbers. Yeah. Same with like Dave Casper, you know, guys like that. I mean, you know, Tyler Eifert, if he played in the current offense, would, would, you know, put up insane numbers. Yeah. That's why I say like, I get a little, be careful with kind of the comparisons of, you know, this guy to, it's a different generation. You know what I mean? And so, you know, if a, if a running back from Georgia doesn't clo- come close to getting Herschel Walker's numbers, it doesn't mean he's not a great player. Just it's a different era, right? Right. So that could be it. But I think one thing that you and I are going to agree on, Sean, is for Notre Dame to truly be a team that you look at and say they can play with anybody anywhere at any time and beat them. Yeah, it's going to have to be. If you're to say they're going to have a Heisman finalist, the guy that finishes in the top five, let's just say top five. Right. I think the the guy that gives them the best chance of being that would be Tyler Buckner. Agreed. Two, twofold. The only way Tyler Buckner is in the top five is if he's healthy. Right. I mean, he can't play 10 games and be a Heisman finalist. Right. right? The other one is, is he's just a dynamic playmaker that plays well in the big games. Mm-hmm. They don't have to even beat Ohio State. He just has to play well and they lose a barn burner. Right. And then he goes out and beats Clemson and then beats USC. Because the thing that Tyler's going to have is he's going to have some marquee games against big-time quarterbacks. He's going to start the season and end the season with that. I mean, get show me a Heisman Trophy – show me a magazine or a list that talks about Heisman Trophy candidates that doesn't include C.J. Stroud – and Caleb Williams, show me one, and you won't find it. Yeah, it, they're just both on there. You know who who knows what happens with Clemson? Who knows about where Phil Dracovic is by that point in time in the year? I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen, but you're going to have him. You're going to have him looking at at those guys and being like, okay, this guy has a chance to yeah. to to because that's it. Sean. It's the marquee games, yeah. right? You got to have the marquee games. You either have to have insane numbers. Or you have to play well in the marquee games, and I think that was the thing. Like that, like for Joe Burrow, as good as he was, you know, in two thousand nine, nineteen, you know, he had some big moments and some big games, and 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 really came through in, in the clutch. Like you know, even the Texas game earlier in the year, you know, Texas gave LSU everything they could handle, but Joe just made some sick plays in the second half of the yeah. game. Yeah, you know, you look at what he did to Alabama. He went to Alabama, went thirty-one of thirty-nine for three hundred ninety-three yards and three touchdowns. I mean, that's it's a big time game. Big time game. You know, you play Florida, who at the time was ranked number six. He goes twenty-one of twenty-four. Twenty-one of twenty-four against Florida, two hundred ninety-three yards and three touchdowns. 
that's a big th- oh and by the way he added 43 yards rushing in that game and he had he had 64 more yards rushing against Alabama yeah. that's the other thing is if you go look at his numbers that year he didn't run often but it was usually when he ran it was in the bigger games and I mean those are the things where you looked at Joe Burrow SEC title game against Georgia he goes 28 of 38 28 of 38 against Georgia for 349 yards and four touchdowns yeah I mean that's the thing is you got to play big and big games. I think to be a legit Heisman trophy candidate, you've got to be that guy. You've got to be that guy. Here's a, here's a, here's a reality, right? We all know. No name's got to have a dynamic quarterback. if They want to win the title, right? We both agree with that. We've said that. Yeah. And this is the most dynamic quarterback they've had since say in the starting lineup. I mean, since Deshaun two ways. Brandon was a dynamic runner, but he was never going to throw enough to be no. to be that guy. Right. I mean, Deshaun was that guy. Deshaun had the physical talent to be that guy. He just we we've talked about that. But I mean, this is their most dynamic dual threat player. Because even even Deshaun, I would say that 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 Tyler can be every bit the runner Malik was, but he's a little bit more natural pocket passer than Malik was. He is a more dynamic runner than even what Deshaun was, significantly more than what Deshaun was. And I think he's got a little bit more of a better feel than what Deshaun had, although Deshaun was a pretty natural passer. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Everett just never had the, anywhere close to the production that was going to be yeah. there. So, and so, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think that the ability's there. And I, and I think that, and I think that's the final piece for me as far as Heisman talk is of all the quarterbacks that people are talking about being Heisman contenders. Most of them are just pocket passers. Yeah. So, like, they could kind of all, like, well, I like Bryce Young. Well, I like C.J. Stroud. But he's the one kid that kind of brings some of that Lamar Jackson highlight stuff to the table. Yeah. You know? I'm not saying he's Lamar Jackson because he's not going to run. I mean, no, he's not going to rush the yards. Using, being able to use his feet to right. impact the game as well as the, using his arms. Right. The dual Absolutely. threat aspects of it. Because yeah. – when those guys come along, I mean, Deshaun Watson was runner-up for the Heisman Trophy in a year where he threw 17 flipping interceptions. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and who beat him that year? It was Lamar. That's so funny. That year, um, I believe they lost at home to Pitt. Was it Boss Pitt? Pitt. I think he threw almost 80 passes in that game. It was something ridiculous. Yeah. Like, they literally put the game on his back. Mm-hmm. And he had crazy numbers, but he turned the ball over like right. three times in like 78, 80 mm-hmm. passes. It's like, come on, man. Like, Yeah, he went 52 of 70. 52 of 70. Yes, he threw three picks in that game. On yeah. 70 passes. Right, 580 yards. I mean, I can, I'm pretty confident saying that Tyler Buckner is not going to be sniffing 70 attempts no. in the game. no. No. I think the thing that hurt Deshaun that year too is Deshaun, I thought, forced himself to be too much of a pocket passer that year. Mm-hmm. I think that partly is why he threw so many interceptions. He, he was trying to prove I'm a pocket passer. And remember, they had a lot of injuries on the offensive line right. that year as well. Right. And their running game scuffled. And yes. Until and, like late in the year. And they needed him to be more of a runner that year. Yeah. And he and he wasn't. And, and so, yeah, cause Wayne, the year before Wayne Gallman had 1,527 yards, 13 touchdowns, 5.4 yards of catch and 15 while Deshaun rushed for 1100 yards 
The next year, Deshaun went down to 629, and Wayne Gallman went down to 1133. And I think he needed to be that guy, in my opinion. And then, like I said, when you look at Lamar, I mean, I'm not asking for Tyler Buckner to put up Lamar's numbers. I'm not, I'm not asking to do that. You know, I mean, he threw for 3,600 yards and rushed for 1,600 yards. And Tyler Buckner's not going to do that. I'm not saying he's going to do that. But the one thing that that the Tyler has going for him that Lamar didn't is he plays at a big time program. It's going to be a national title contender. Within this offense, Tyler has an opportunity to be very efficient. Mm-hmm. Because right. the opportunities are going to be there. I'll give you a perfect example. I watched the North Carolina game this week, and I believe it was the second touchdown in the second quarter. And they got into the red zone, and as they did all last year, they start to struggle in the red zone. And it was just a strange they tends to happen when you can't block anybody. They got a penalty with Jack Cohn in, and then they pulled Jack Cohn out for Tyler. And then there was another mix-up with the signal. They had to take a timeout. Then it came back on the field, and they go three wide, and it is an RPO, and it's like Avery Davis is sitting out there like two on two. Right, it's an easy pitch. Right, you get the block. He just, he just walks exactly. You know, and it was just really simple. It was kind of like, okay, here's the box. The matchup is out there. Right. It's like literally like playing point guard. And I think if he can be an efficient point guard, not because I think guys like C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are like scoring point guards, aggressive, can score the ball. When you get a true point guard, someone that can just be efficient, make the right read, doesn't have the full weight of the offense on his shoulders. You just need him to make the plays mm-hmm. when they're available. Run the ball. He's going to impact every facet of the game. That's the beautiful thing about Tyler Buckner. He's going to impact your running backs. He's going to impact the pass blocking. He's going to impact your wide receivers. And he's going to be able to make off-script plays when things break down. Mm -hmm. That's the beautiful thing about him is that he can affect so much that his talent gives him an opportunity to be a true Heisman candidate if, if he's just efficient, he doesn't have to come out and throw for 300 yards every game. If he comes out and runs for 50, throws for 250, doesn't throw turn the ball over and puts up two to three touchdowns every week, yeah, he might not be as flashy as the other guys and numbers might not be as gaudy, but people are going to take notice and say, yo, he was 24 for 29, though. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? He was 21 for 26. For 200, it's like that's the type of situation and opportunity that's right there in front, and we hope that the development of Tyler Buckner, because even though he hasn't started, he's played in big games. Right. Right? He played against Cincinnati. Right. He played against Virginia Tech. He's played in hostile environments, so I don't think he's going to walk into the horseshoe right. with his eyes too big, right. and the situation is going to be too big for him. I think as long as he plays within himself, he's going to play a very good game. Yeah. That's my belief. I think for me, Sean, if he can be that type of player as a passer, because like I was trying to kind of follow along, like, okay, like when I think of CJ Stroud, I actually think of him as a point guard quarterback because he doesn't run, but I get what you're saying. Then you said, when you said the part about put the offense on your shoulders, like, okay, now I get that. Right. Like, okay, I understand. Yeah. 
Because when I think of Tyler, I do think of him as like a Derrick Rose type of point guard, right? Like just that explosive athlete, you know, maybe not the most, the best shooter in the world or, you know, but, but just explosive athletically and all that. But I, I think, I think that the interesting thing that I was thought of as you were talking is Tyler Buckner is kind of like two quarterbacks built into one. Mm-hmm. When you go back and watch his, yeah. his junior film, he's like, there's the Tyler Buckner that can sit in the pocket and throw beautiful deep balls, like just dropping over dudes and hit yeah. seam routes and read, read throws. Then there's a Tyler Buckner that plays playground football that really three quarterbacks. And then there's the Tyler Buckner that you can just run designed runs to. Yeah. Right. And I think, if he can be that guy that you were talking about as a passer, that's how he becomes in this conversation. Yeah. Because the running part's going to be there. Absolutely. The scrambling around doing crazy stuff is going to be there. If he can then sit back and like you said, you know, go 22 of 30 for 280 some yards or 275 yards, plus add another 60, 70 per game as a runner. Now all of a sudden you're talking about a guy with 300 plus passing yards mm-hmm. with seven, 800 rush yards with close to 40 touchdowns that's making highlight real plays every day while all the other kids are sitting back playing the same brand of football, sit right. back and throw it, sit yeah. back and throw it, sit back and throw it. And this kid, and that's why I think Johnny Manziel won the Heisman trophy. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I would necessarily say that, you know, was, was Johnny Manziel in 2012 without question, the best player in college football, maybe, you know, maybe, but he was just a guy that you just – he, he kind of had a bit of a breakout year, but he just was so fun to watch. I mean, was Johnny Manziel a better football player that year than Manti Teo? No, I don't think so. Uh, did Colin Klein carry his team more than Johnny Manziel carried his team? Yeah, yeah. I would say so. But what he had was flair. He had flair. The way he did it, yeah. Right. And that's that was the that was the thing. And I think the other part of it is nobody had ever heard of Johnny Manziel before. Right. It's his first year as a starter. Johnny Manziel won a Heisman trophy while passing for 3,700 yards, 8.5 yards per attempt, 26 touchdowns, nine picks, with a 155 quarterback rating. And he rushed for 1,400 yards, 21 touchdowns, right? Well, the next year, Johnny Manziel passed for over 4,100 yards with a 37 touchdowns, a 172.9 quarterback rating, and a 759 rushing yards and nine touchdowns. So he was pretty darn dynamic that next year as well. Yeah. Much more efficient as a passer. But what was the difference? They, He was in year two. You could pick his game apart more, which is what's going to happen to C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young this year. And he was much more of a, he's just going to sit back and throw it kind of guy. I mean, you could argue that he was a better quarterback overall in 2013. His team wasn't as good. And then next year he finishes fifth in Heisman Trophy. He finished behind Jordan Lynch of Northern Illinois that next year. He finished behind A.J. McCarron that next year, despite throwing for over a thousand more yards than A.J. McCarron. He had nine more touchdowns than A.J. McCarron. What was the difference? the newness was gone, right? It was, they picked apart his game. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. They, you know, all that other stuff. Well, that's, what's going to hurt Bryce Young this year. That's what happened to Trevor Lawrence in his entire career. You know, just like they kept picking him apart, even though he was a heck of a player, they just kept picking his game apart, you know? And it's it's what helped Joe Burrow, right? Like he was new. The offense was new. There was a lot of uncertainty about who was this Joe Burrow guy 
in regards to teams game planning for him. I think that's something else that's going to help Tyler Buckner is for the first month of the season, teams aren't going to have any clue what this Notre Dame offense is going to look like yeah. in reality. Because if you're studying film of Jack Cohn last year and then you're studying film of what they how they played Tyler Buckner and you think that's what they're going to do, then I just don't think that's what they're going to do. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Now, am I predicting it? No, I'm not predicting that Tyler Buckner is going to be a Heisman finalist. We're simply talking about if Notre Dame is going to – if Notre Dame is playing for a title, this is what needs to happen. And that's where that conversation comes from. Here's a sleeper for you, and I'm just going to throw the name out. I'm going to have you respond. Okay. It's been in the chat. Chris Tyree. Really? Just thought, immediate thoughts. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to give me the composition of this of this Heisman season. Let me make the make state this case. Okay. Eleven hundred rushing yards. Okay. Average is about seven yards a carry. Okay. Okay. Which is like 0.2 below what he did in 2020. Five hundred plus receiving yards. Four more touchdowns. Finishes in the top ten and kick return average with two more touchdowns. That gives him. That's going to put him close to three thousand yards of total of of all purpose yards. And close to fourteen, fifteen touchdowns. I mean, a season like that. That'll do it. I think he'd have to get closer. He'd, I think he'd have probably be around like, like 1,200 yards, I think probably rushing 1,200 plus. And I think he'd have to crack the 10. But the thing I look at it and say is – So that would be basically 12, 12 to 15 touches a game offensively. That's it. Yeah, yeah that's about it. 15 touches per game Yeah, offensively. Yeah, that's it. Which is, which is not – out of the realm of possibility. No, not at all. And that's not including special teams. Right. Because I look at like um, like you're, last year. You're basically building the numbers for a national championship team. Sure. <laughs> with Buckner and Tyree. Well, like look at last year, right? Look at the kid that won it last year. Kenneth Walker. Had sixteen hundred rushing touchdowns or sixteen hundred rushing yards, mm-hmm. eighteen touchdowns. He had eighty nine receiving yards and a touchdown. He had seventeen twenty five total yards, and he was the best running. Finished I think, fifth or sixth in the country in in, uh, in rushing. Let's be honest: if Kenneth Walker would have had those numbers and played for Notre Dame last year, he's higher than six on the. Let's be honest. If he played at a bigger program, he would have been ranked even higher. If he had done those numbers at Alabama, he'd have been higher than the Heisman Trophy list. Chris Tyree at, at, at 1,200 and 500 has more yards of offense than Kenneth Walker. And then you throw in the 1,000-plus yards he'd have in kick returning because and he's already done that. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing is I, I look at and I say, again, because we're going to the theory of, if Notre Dame is a Heisman contender, or excuse me, a national title contender, so they're a playoff team, right? Somebody's going to get that love, right? 
So I'm sorry, it wouldn't be a thousand yards rushing. It'd be more like seven, eight hundred yards rushing if he if he's top ten in the nation to kick returns and has, takes two back to the house. It's like, dude, like you're saying, 15 touches per game, running and receiving the ball. Right. Look, and then you're talking about let's say, you know, three kick returns per game on average yeah. at 60 to 70 more yards at least. He availability. Like we can talk all we want to about numbers. Like, yeah. If he's on the field, he's going to make plays. Can he be that guy? And I think this goes back to the Tyler Buckner thing. Sometimes the guy that gets the love for the Heisman Trophy is not necessarily the driver of that bus. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're running around trying to stop Michael Mayer and Lorenzo Styles and Tyler Buckner, all of a sudden Chris Tyree just went for 80. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the interesting thing. Because if Notre Dame's a playoff team, somebody's going to get the attention. And who's that going to be? Yeah. Again, I think it's the guy that make because that's what Notre Dame hasn't had on high on, on really in all, on offense in recent years. Is they haven't had that guy that just had those all those highlight reel plays. Yeah. Right? Like that wasn't Kyron. Kyron would occasionally have those kind of plays, but it was like the North Carolina game. But normally Kyron was a grinder, right? Like that's why Kyron barely averaged five yards a carry for his career. You know, I mean, that, that's the thing that, that, that people got to remember is, you know, yes, Kyron was a really good football player, but he was a grinder. You know, I mean, what was he? He was 5.3 yards per carry last year or 2020. He was 4.9 this past year. He averaged 5.1 yards per carry for his career. Yeah. You know, I mean. And Kyron, the more. <laughs> yeah. The more I understand that the offensive line was an issue, but, but Kyron. But the year before, when they were a Joe Moore finalist, he only averaged 5.3. Yeah, he at times he was a little bit too patient and just didn't put his foot into the ground and and go get yards that were there. Right. Instead of just looking for, you know, the opportunity to make the big play. I mean, he was, yards per carry-wise, he was beneath what Torian Folston was before the knee injury. I'm just, that's not a guess. That's what the numbers are. I mean, Torian... Torian was at 5.3 as a freshman, 5.1 as a sophomore, and he's 6.3 as a junior on three carries. He you know, was he so was good. Yeah. He was so good. Yeah. He was so good. People forget how good he was. Yeah. So that's kind of my thing is Tyree could be that. I agree. That numbers guy, especially yeah. the pass game with it. So it'll be interesting to see how that he all hits those numbers. I agree. Yeah. Be interesting. Very, very interesting. And the other option is they all th- three play so good that they kind of cancel each other out. You know, because Notre Dame won't get the benefit of the doubt of having two top five guys like Alabama the and three in the top ten, Ohio State, and all that kind of. No, they they won't get that. They won't get that because they don't have that same regional media thing that that you get with some of those other schools. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not like the Midwest media voters are going to rally around you know Notre Dame for their Heisman candidacy. You know what I mean? I would um, venture to say that yeah. Kyle Hamilton was a top five Heisman candidate until Cincinnati. He had the, he had the two big plays in yeah. that first game. He had, he had the, even though he wasn't playing great. I get he what you're had saying. the highlight plays. He, he was getting a lot of love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he had that big fourth down stop against Purdue. Yeah. He, if he had come through with a big game against Cincinnati. Yeah. And he did not play well at and all. He didn't get hurt. Cincinnati. No, no, he was bad. No, so that's the funny thing, though, Sean. With all this, is because you're you're making a case that I agree with, 
but he wasn't nearly as good of a player in 2021 as he was no. in 2020. No, but he made the flashy plays. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, that's what a lot of voters go with. They're going to go with what they see, right? They're going to go with numbers. Yeah. And that's what they do. They don't yeah. break film down, sadly, you know, but that's just the reality of it. So, hey, I'm, I, I can't lie. I still marvel at the two interceptions against Florida State. Oh, they're unreal. But then there was two other just terrible plays he made that game that that you know that that oh. could have cost him. Yeah, and he was didn't play very well against Toledo. But that's the thing that's so frustrating about Kyle last year is because man, when he was when he was right and was playing within his system, boy, he was he could make some unreal plays. I mean, just unreal plays. The almost pick six against Purdue. We were just talking early. about that. Yeah. Like how I mean, no, nobody else even gets their hand on that ball. No, much less almost no. picks it off. No. And the quarterback felt like there's no way he gets out there. Yeah. And he almost takes it back the other way. So, yeah. Yeah. 